News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. So the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. COVID-19 vaccine was administered in Quebec for the first time yesterday. Now that news came as we learned about the first delivery of about 4,000 doses arriving here in BC. Health officials say the first injections are going to be for healthcare workers in the lower mainland. They are expected to begin later today. We will of course have complete coverage on that for you. But for more on the rollout in Quebec and what that looks like, uh, we're joined now by Global News Montreal journalist Phil Carpenter. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Simi. Now, how many doses do we know of that are being distributed in Quebec and who's getting them? Well, they're, um, they were distributed to uh, seniors uh, residents, uh, two, in fact, uh, one in Montreal, one in Quebec City. Uh, now, each home uh, received uh, two boxes each, and each box has about uh, 975 doses. So that's about uh, four, almost 4,000 in all. Okay, so what uh, can you tell us about the Montreal Care Home, where apparently only half of the staff there actually want the vaccine, even though most of the residents say they want it? Yeah, that's right. So this is my monitors, and they've been hit hard over the last uh, few weeks uh, with the uh, with the, um, with the virus. Um, they have right now about uh, fifteen deaths, and uh, about last. Uh, week or a week before maybe 20, 22 people were uh, sent to hospital. Now, they have about uh, just a little bit over 300 res- residents, and almost all of them have signed up, but only about uh, between 30 and 35, 35 and 40% of the staff there have actually signed up for the uh, to get the vaccine. And it's it's a little puzzling because, you know, you'd think that the, the it would be staff who would actually come forward first and, and, and decide to sign up for this thing, yeah. but it's, it's kind of puzzling. It's something that I'm you know, trying to... Well, hopefully to dig into a little bit later on uh, this morning. Now we are also hearing that um, it's something that's quite normal for for uh, for medical staff to be reluctant to get vaccines, and that also you know I find a little bit uh, puzzling. Yeah, that is a little bit puzzling. Now, what about health restrictions? There, I understand that Premier Legault has said that there will be some other health restrictions coming up. Yeah, that's right. No, for the last uh, month and a half, two months, uh, restaurants and bars have been closed. I mean, schools have remained open, stores have remained open, but. We are thinking now that um, there is going to be an announcement uh, later on this evening to say that uh, all non-essential businesses will be closed. Uh, that's probably going to happen uh, as of uh, sometime next week. We're not sure yet. Um, they're just hoping that uh, they're going to be able to bring the numbers down because the numbers were stable for quite uh, for quite a few weeks. But then for the last couple of weeks, they've been sort of inching up. Uh, the numbers, yes, they got to, I believe it was six, a little bit over 1,600. Uh, sometime on the weekend, it got as high as 1,900. So we're really expecting that the Premier will, will sort of come out later on, uh, sometime later on this evening to uh, impose uh, the restrictions. So we'll see where that takes us. So that won't be until after Christmas? <laughs> We're not sure. We're, we're thinking it's probably going to be maybe Christmas Day uh, restrictions for two weeks, and then we'll see what happens after that. All right, we will see. Thank you so much for your time, Phil. Thanks. Take care. This is Mornings with Simi. I don't know about you, but I have a whole pile of unwrapped presents sitting in my room that I have to get to this weekend and make sure they get all wrapped up. And I know Nikki Reitmeyer has been doing the same, getting everything organized. Good morning, Nikki. 
Good morning, Simmy. My thing this year has been Christmas cards. I, I love send that. a couple every year, but I think there's more people doing it this year, doesn't it seem? It certainly seems like that to me because I've I've gotten more than a, a few envelopes right in the mail. And you're like, wow, Christmas card. This is fantastic. And I have been um, pleasantly surprised by that and how, by how much also I seem to love them this year. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a nice way for people to reach out this year in ways that maybe they hadn't in the past. And it feels good to receive one as well. You go, oh, geez, you know, someone was thinking of me. It feels kind of nice. And, you know, I've certainly been trying to reach out to more people through the holiday season, letting them know that you know, you're thinking of them too. But since I'm not alone and you're not alone in this venture where we're sending out Christmas cards, I went down to the shop yesterday to see if I could pick up some stamps so I could actually send these things off. And lo and behold, they told me, yeah, we have no stamps left. Like everybody what? else is buying Christmas cards right now too. Yeah. So they said, come back tomorrow. We're expecting a truck to come by today. Uh, and apparently this is a thing where you sk- stamps right now are getting a little bit more scarce. You Look, you can still probably find them, but they are getting a little more scarce because everybody else thinking the same thing. They want to be sending off their Christmas cards. And, you know, here we are. That is such... Uh, it's so nice, though, to hear that, right? Yeah. Um, do you, you're probably too young to remember this, but as a kid, did you ever, when the Christmas cards came to the house, string them up with ribbon and put them over the fireplace? I do recall that tradition. I thought you were going to say something like, come on, Simi, that's not that old. I thought you were going to say, do you remember sending cards by carrier pigeon or something? No. I mean, I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not that old. Please. <laughs> no, I just remember as a kid, that was a thing to do. You put the ribbon up over the fireplace, and then as the cards came, you know, you, you put them up there so you could see them. I put them up on the um, mantle in my family room, too, mm. because right now I'm just enjoying seeing them. So I guess lots of people are enjoying that this year. I hope that's something that stays. I hope it's something that we keep doing. Yes, I like to put mine in the Christmas tree. So I kind of just shove them into oh, the Christmas cute. tree. Yeah, so then it's sort of a mix of, you know, baubles and Christmas cards and you know, jam them in there. And, and then they're nice and they're on display. But putting them along the mantle is wonderful as well. We used to do, always do that when we were kids. And uh, putting them on the fridge, of course, you know, that's kind of the yes. classic as well. Though I suppose you run out of magnets and you run out of space after a while Spe- too. Speaking of your Christmas tree, I have a question. Do you, like, how do you feel about garland and tinsel? Mm. So, I like it. I don't have it. I think it's a bit of a, an environmental waste. So, you know, I probably wouldn't exactly. be going out and buying it. But I remember when we were kids, we used to go to the Austrian club growing up. And it was very exciting to sit underneath the giant Christmas tree that they had. Well, all the adults were doing all their boring stuff. And you'd steal tiny little pieces of tinsel and then take them home every year. So, you know, at the end of a few years, you had at least a handful of tinsel that you would kind of put on your Christmas tree right. at home. Uh, but it was this fun little tradition where you go, oh, that's so cool. Their tree has these little silver tinsel shards and you find them on the ground underneath the Christmas tree. So you you grab one or two and all the cousins would be doing it as well. See, I'm anti-tinsel. So (laughs) for that exact reason is that it just seemed like it was always falling off the tree and it was getting sucked up into the vacuum cleaner and it was causing problems. And it just seems like such a waste to me. But without fail, every year when we're decorating the tree, I get the hassle from family members about how come our tree doesn't have garlic? How come we don't have tinsel? And I'm mainly doing that because it's my husband who wants the tinsel because he grew up with tinsel. And I keep telling him it's horrible uh-huh. for the environment. What do you want tinsel for? You don't, you don't do the vacuuming around here. So no, we're, I, I put my foot down. We don't have tinsel. But every year this discussion comes up again. I, I don't even, I don't even think they sell it anymore. Do they? Like, I, I can't remember where, I've, if I've even seen it recently. No, you know what? Ugh, to be, and to be fair, I, I, when I see the Christmas aisle in stores, 
I have to physically walk away because I Why? enjoy the Christmas aisle <laughs> yes. so much. Yes. So I haven't been down a Christmas aisle in years. What's such discipline? Well, you know yourself, right? It's like being on a diet. You go, nope, not even going to go there. I'm not going to walk into the cheese factory because I like cheese too much. So I'm going to just turn here and I'm going to walk away. So I, I try to avoid the Christmas aisle because then I'll end up buying you know, little trinkets that I don't oh, need. Oh, man, so, the tree yeah, can always I, use one more ornament. They can always know, use one more ornament. problem. <laughs> That's the problem, Simmy. <laughs> so are you mailing off anything? Because I know Canada Post has been talking about deadlines for mailing packages as well, right? Yeah. So as I said before, I'm pretty low key on the presents that I do. So you know, the only presents I have are for my mom, my dad, and and my brother. And my brother's getting a gift card. So, you know, it's it's pretty low key as far as gifts go. But I will send out Christmas cards. And I do have to get them in the mail this week. I have to go buy those stamps today because Canada Post is saying you need to get your stuff sent like ASAP because they're expecting a lot of people to not just be sending Christmas cards this year, but of course, sending parcels as well. So get your parcels in the mail yeah. really, really quickly if you possibly can. They're saying regular parcel deliver- delivery for your region needs to be mailed out no later than December 16th. So we're talking tomorrow. And oh. then they said, meanwhile, regular parcel deliveries that are going nationally, those need to go out today. So if you have packages that you're sending to Ontario or to family in Newfoundland, then you need to make sure that those are mailed by today. They said, this is the deadline. If, if you want those people to receive their parcel by Christmas. If you want to pen- spend a little bit more and then do the express delivery, right. December 18th is is your deadline if you want to use priority or express post to ship those partials locally or regionally. But then, you know, nationally, you're still taking a gamble right. there as well if you want to spend the extra money on top of all of that. Let me ask you this question then. Obviously, you didn't have to ship the presents to your parents. Um, wh- who's harder to buy for? Your mom or your dad? Mm. Oh, dad. Oh, dad, for sure. Really? Because... Mom, you know, she she has things that she likes or, you know, she'll kind of give you a little hint about a gift that she wants. And, and that's not so bad, right? Okay, you got some ideas going here. But dad is the type of guy where you ask him, you say, you know, what, what would you like for Christmas this year? He goes, no, I don't want anything for Christmas. And you go, well, yeah, well, oh, you know, I hate that you answer. Need anything? Yes. <laughs> he goes, no, 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 I have all the socks that I need. Well, do you need anything else? No, 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 I just got a, I just got new t-shirts the other day. So I'm all good. And so he's the type of guy who's so difficult to buy for. And he doesn't like, he's kind of like me. He doesn't like little trinkets and stuff. So, you know, you, you can't really buy him anything that he doesn't need but he also needs nothing at the same time right so so he's you know what you know what i'll tell you what to my please. dad is getting yeah what i know what? i know he's um i think he's out for a walk right now so i can tell you because he won't be listening to the radio so a few weeks back we had some authors on this show who wrote a book about the fraser river oh yeah so great book by I, the way I thought it looked fantastic. So I ordered a copy of their book. I thought local authors, I'll support some, uh, you know, small local authors. So I I ordered a copy of the book about the Fraser River to give to my dad. I thought that would be kind of a nice little gift. It's also a very nice coffee table book because I was flipping Mm -hmm. through it myself. Beautiful pictures on there and it's local. And I could see your dad would really enjoy that. would give him something to talk about, a little Fraser River information and trivia in there. Exactly. He loves local history. So I thought that that was kind of a, a perfect little gift to give the guy. Those are the people that are really hard to please, right? They're the ones that you want to work harder to try to find something that they would like because I love finding, you know, the perfect gift for someone. I always challenge myself to do that. And you listen all year long for them to say something that you might be able to use later. But some people, they just vex you like that. I have an aunt who is like that. Very difficult. And you can't spend too much money on her because then she gets mad at you. So if you buy something really nice, she does not like that. So you think, oh, I'm going to get her this, you know, no, no, don't do it. She'll just get mad at you for doing it. It's very frustrating. 
See, that's the beauty of gift cards, though, Simi. I brought my brother a gift card to the breakfast spot that he likes. 25 bucks, he can go have a breakfast on me one morning. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the nice. beauty of the gift card. At the end of the day, I know there's some hesitancy for people to buy gift cards, but I... I like them. You know, that's another debate we can have for another day. To, to gift true. card or yeah. not gift card. Thank you for that, Nikki. This is Mornings with Simi. Now, in the news, a story that I didn't think I would ever hear, actually. When you hear, oh, major announcement on ICBC, you usually think, well, that's not going to be good for my pocketbook, right? Yesterday, a little something different. Here's Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth making the announcement. Since 2017, our government has been working to make life more affordable, and that includes for millions of vehicle owners in this province. Today marks a significant milestone in those efforts. With ICBC set to apply to the BC Utilities Commission for the largest decrease to basic insurance rates in more than 40 years. With its approval, starting May 1st, drivers will begin seeing savings of 20% or about $400 on their basic and optional vehicle insurance as a result of ICBC's new enhanced care coverage. In fact, some customers will see savings on their optional insurance even sooner than expected as ICBC will be reducing its third-party liability rates starting February the 1st. Then, when enhanced care takes effect in the spring, millions of British Columbians will also receive a one-time prorated refund. Our goal is to leave more money in people's pockets over the longer term. Government has, has directed that ICBC's basic rate application cover two years instead of the standard one year, helping to provide predictability on these lower basic insurance rates through to at least early 2023. Tomorrow's basic rate application also sets out how ICBC will contribute to a fund that will help ensure better rate stability in the future. Another one of our government's top ongoing priorities is ensuring people receive the vital services that they need. That's the other good news today. Beyond premium savings, ICBC's new enhanced coverage will provide people with significantly improved care and recovery benefits if they're injured in a crash regardless of fault with overall benefits of a maximum of at least $7.5 million. In closing, I want, to reassure, I want to reassure British Columbians that more affordable rates and coverage that better takes care of them are just around the corner. Thank you. So that is Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth talking about, yeah, you getting money back from ICBC, actual reduction in rates, if you can believe it. They're promising a 20% decrease in overall car insurance rates. Now, that's, I don't remember that ever happening before, that kind of rebate. So who is going to get this? How does this work? Is there anything special that you have to do? I know there's lots of questions about that, of course. And what does this mean for if you are in an accident? Uh, how does that impact? Like, where's that money coming from, essentially? How are they able to do this? Uh, that's the thing. What about the books? Well, I would actually disagree that it's in the best interest of drivers. But, it, it, you know, ICBC is saying it will lead to about $400 in savings per customer. That's Aaron Sutherland with the Insurance Bureau of Canada. He was talking to our Mike Smith yesterday. Now, they're saying the switch to no fault isn't worth the savings that ICBC customers will apparently be getting. So we thought, let's talk about that announcement, the big one that, you know, could impact your wallet. Joining us now is Nicholas Jimenez, the ICBC president and CEO. Thank you for joining us. 
Hey, good morning, Simi. Now, can you break this down for us once more, then? What are people going to get? Well, starting in May 1st, we're moving to a, a brand new way of uh, delivering auto insurance. Is it a new product and a better system? And what it's going to mean for uh, the majority of drivers, you're going to see an average of 20% or $400 worth of savings and what you're actually paying for your insurance every year. So does that mean they're going to be getting that money back? Is it lower for lower rate or is there a rebate check? Like, how does that yeah, work? Well, so it's going to depend a little bit. So if you have a policy that, uh, let's say you renew your insurance today, uh, you have a portion of your policy that's going to be after May uh, 2021. So we're going to give you essentially a rebate for the portion of your policy that uh, that extends after May 2021. If you renew after May 2021, you'll get the full effect of the savings day one. So everyone's going to effectively get, uh, you know, uh, savings either now or when they renew post May 2021. It's good news for everybody. Okay. So, but what does it mean though for their coverage with this new system? Well, what it effectively means is that we no longer have. Uh, essentially a, a litigation model. Uh, and in today's litigation model, you have pretty different outcomes if you're at fault or if you're not at fault. In, in the new enhanced care coverage, everybody gets the same kind of care, and that care is better, full stop. Uh, so it's, it's got richer benefits for accidents and health and recovery, uh, treatment providers. Uh, you've got better wage uh, coverage if, if you can't return uh, to work right away. So, it, it, And we'll be announcing all the, the specific details in February when we put the regulations into the mix. But, but it is a much richer uh, sort of uh, suite of coverages that is going to really help injured drivers uh, when, when they're in a crash. Okay, so if everybody gets the same amount of coverage and the same benefits out of that, so what happens to the bad drivers, though? Where is the disincentive to them? Well, there's still accountability. So, you know, we are still rating this based on risk. So if you are somebody who gets into a lot of crashes, your premium is going to reflect that. Um, so in this system, I mean, people like to say, oh, it's in no fault. Fault doesn't matter. Fault absolutely matters. Uh, we're still looking at, you know, your conviction history, your crash history. Uh, so how you drive is a big indicator of what you're going to pay for your insurance. It's just that overall insurance is going to cost a lot less. So if you get into an accident then, and clearly the other person is at fault, you're not going to automatically sue them. No, you don't need to. I mean, the focus here isn't on going to court, which is expensive and takes a lot of time. The focus is if two people are injured in a crash, we should put all our energies in making sure that those people get the quality care and get you know back to life and back to function and back to work as fast as possible. And that's what the system is going to be focused on. So will people really notice, Nicholas, do you think the amount of money that they potentially could save on this new system? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, you're going to see, you know, significant savings. So if I'm a new driver of three or four years of experience, I'm probably paying a lot right now. And a lot of that is tied up into the third party extension product, which is the one that protects you if you get sued. Um, since the risk of getting sued has gone away, you know, those inexperienced drivers who are paying thousands of dollars today, they're going to see a big, big reduction. 20% of a couple thousand bucks is a, is a lot of money. Okay, that was my other question then. Does this, is this the, the rates going to affect uh, the optional or the basic part of insurance? Well, uh, it's actually going to affect both. Uh, so we're putting a fi filing to the BCUC today, uh, and that's for basic. And so we're expecting about a 15% reduction 
on basic, uh, about 150 bucks on average for policies, and then the remainder is coming out of the optional coverages. Uh, and so we're happy to say that uh, those are actually going to start to take effect in February, which is great news for customers. Okay, so then what do we have to wait for February for? What are we going to find out then? Well, in February, you are going to start to see some of those savings on your optional insurance. And for basic, that will begin in May. It's, it's a little bit complicated, but basic is regulated and optional isn't. We are able to make changes to our optional insurance really any time of year because it's a competitive product. But basic is fixed on a fixed term uh, that the regulator uh, prescribes. So, right. uh, so bottom line, the savings, whether it's February or May, uh, it'll be you know on average about 20% or $400 for uh, for our full coverage customers. Okay, so that's all you know. good news for, for customers there. What about the potential rebate for ICBC rates during the last year, during the pandemic, Nicholas? This has been something that has been talked about, but what, what about that? Well, I'm happy to say that we're, we're putting options in front of uh, our minister uh, very, very soon on that. Uh, and, and I would expect government to be looking and making decisions uh, in the very near future. You know, I'll say it's we're in a little bit of a different situation. We've, we've taken, you know, a little bit of criticism for, for, for not doing this, this sooner. And I'll tell you, we were very, very clear at the outset when, when we released our first report back in May on, on the impact of the pandemic. And, you know, no other carrier in the country is going through what we're going through in terms of changing from this system to a new one. We've got a constitutional challenge still not yet heard. Uh, we're waiting for the decision. And if we lose that decision, it could be hundreds of millions of dollars. So what we said from day one was, look, we think this is a good idea. We just need to let a few chips land before we can uh, make sure we can do this and in a sustainable way. So right. I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Shortly. So, so you're essentially you want to wait and see if the money is there first. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone wants to get a rebate and then I see ICBC lose hundreds of millions of dollars. So, like I said, we're putting options in front of our minister uh, very, very soon, and I would expect government to make a decision following that. All right. I guess we'll be talking to you then. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Amy. Have a good day. You too. Nicholas Jimenez is the ICBC president and CEO. So, I know I get skeptical too, just like you do when you hear about the potential of money coming back from ICBC. But they're saying that with the switch to the no-fault system, that that is exactly what is happening. Get your reaction to that. You can email me, simi at cknw.com. I know you're probably a I'll believe it when I see it kind of person. But yes, let me know what you're thinking about that. Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Frustration at a massively popular winter destination in Kelowna that is leading to them asking the police for help. And it's all because they need to enforce COVID-19 regulations. They've got two cases of COVID-19 reported among the staff at Big White. That is in spite of all the regulations that they have in place right now. And they are concerned about more. Joining us is Michael J. Ballingal, who's a senior vice president at Big White Ski Resort. Michael, thanks for being here. Good morning from my desk at 5,500 feet above sea level where it is snowing. Well, it sounds beautiful. Yeah, what has it been like? What are the conditions like there? You know, it, it, we opened on November the 19th, and uh, we've been open four weekends now. And, you know, it's, it's a locals-only mountain at, uh, right now because of this pandemic. And uh, the conditions are great. We're looking forward to a very, very good Christmas. Okay. The, what have the crowds been like? You said it's a locals-only mountain, so you must be getting a lot of locals. Yeah, we have a good season's pass holder base. On the weekends, there's between five and 6,000 people. On a day like today, 
with about 15 centimeters of new snow overnight, we'll probably expect to see about 1,000 people. And uh, that'll mostly be made up of residents that live on the mountain. There'll be about three to 400 that'll come from town. Okay, let's talk about your frustrations then. You're asking for some help from the RCMP. Why is that? Well, you know, the, the, when, when, when Big White opened back in November, um, we went from having three to 400 permanent residents on the mountain to just over 2,000. And, of course, uh, all these young people are coming from all across Canada, meeting on the mountain for the first time, and they were having get-togethers. And, uh, and of course, the, the, there is no RCMP station at Big White Ski Resort. There's no bylaw officers. So uh, some of the rules were being broken, and we were very concerned about that. And uh, we started to see that in the community that we were hearing rumors that people were, you know, sniffles and, 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 and starting to see symptoms of COVID-19. But there was no testing facility on the mountain and there was no way to get some of these people to town because there's no public transportation and most of them arrived without vehicles. So we, uh, we asked Interior Health to come up to the mountain and start to do some testing because uh, there, there was rumors amongst our residents that uh, some people were uh, were ill, and we've 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 done the testing over Monday and and uh, and Friday of last week, and we're expecting to see those results uh, later on today when we have a meeting with Interior Health. And so you think you'll you'll be hearing about more cases at that time? Yeah, we're very nervous right now. Um, you know, a, a lot of the people that live on the mountain and work on the mountain um, in our staff accommodation, we have single rooms and, and rooms for couples. But out in, in the public, um, where, where people rent from a landlord, you have everything from two, three, four, five-bedroom condominiums, apartments, and homes, and there's upwards of eight to 14 to 16 people living in any of those establishments. And we think that uh, that, that might be uh, a breeding ground for this COVID-19, and we, we certainly are eager to get the results. So do you think there's too much, sounds like you've been hearing that there's just kind of too much socializing going on. Do you think people haven't been following the rules? Yeah, I, w- I would say that that would be the genuine case. But, you know, it, it's as much as, uh, as much as we think the staff are doing the right thing, um, in an establishment where there's 8, 10, 12 people mm-hmm. and, and one person brings it in, Unfortunately, you need to lock down that entire establishment now and everybody has to quarantine for 14 days. And, um, you know, a, a 22, 23 year old gets bored. And uh, we're, we're trying to find ways to encourage these people to to live by the rules and play by the rules. I, I think, you know, at the beginning of the year when there were those parties, I think the, the, the social um, backlash of that and, and, and the, the staff members that are incredibly scared of catching COVID-19, I think that has squashed the, the parties. And the RCMP have certainly been cooperative and, and said they will come when called. Um, it's just that in the last two weeks, there has been no need to call them because there hasn't been any reoccurring parties. Right, but you're feel, you feel like the still there's the after effects, right, of what was occurring more than two weeks ago. Yeah, we certainly are um, leaning toward the science uh, approach with the interior health. Um, we're so thankful that they came up and, and they've conducted these tests. Um, it will be able to give us a baseline of what's actually happening in the community. And, and then we can, we can act in accordance with health regulations and, uh, and, and get these people uh, that are tested positive in an isolation situation and, uh, and quarantine them for 14 days and make sure that, uh, that they, they, uh, they have the right. support of the community. 
Now, Michael, it sounds like a very frustrating situation for you as well, because you put all you must have put all sorts of things in place to protect the clients and the customers, right? Well, like, like every resort, you know, when when you're, you're closed over the summer, you work very diligently to figure out how you're going to open the resort. And we had great case studies out of the Southern Hemisphere. Um, you know, we put a, a Texas ticketing system in place so you don't have to come in a building. All our buildings now have sliding doors on them. We built outdoor washrooms. So people can literally go from their car right to the lift, go and enjoy the resort, go back to their car and, and go home or go to their condominium. But uh, I don't think we were naive in any way not to expect that COVID-19 is not going to arrive on the mountain. You know, when, when you balloon from uh, three, 400 residents to over 2,000 residents, um, it's going to show up in someone's back pocket. And, uh, and it has. And, and now we have to uh, do the right thing and work with the interior health officials and see if not only can we flatten this, but squash it and, uh, and, 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 and get a very healthy community as a result. Right. Okay, so you're waiting for those results to come back later today from Interior Health. So, Michael, if you get some more cases, then what are the next steps? Well, to put people into isolation and to act in accordance with, with the health regulations. I mean, it, the, the playbook is, is big, but it is very concise. It is easy to follow. Um, it's a step-by-step process. But you're dealing with people that are away from home for the first time. Their parents are calling. Um, what do we do next? And, and, and you just have to help right. wherever you can. We have a COVID-19 strike team here on the mountain that's working with Interior Health. And, uh, and we're doing our best to get people into isolation when we find out that they test positive. And those results should be coming back today. So what were you hoping that the RCMP could do? Like, did you want them to find people? Did you want them to break up parties? Well, it's, it's not just the staff that, that uh, are having these extracurricular uh, activities in their house. I mean, we're a resort that has accommodation on the mountain to, to, to host 16,000 people. The majority, all the accommodation is owned by private people. And a lot of them live in the central Okanagan and come up to Big White Ski Resort to recreate. And uh, we, just, we just think that people need to understand that on the mountain, you've got to pay by the rules, too. We know what you're doing in the city. Everybody's mm-hmm. trying really hard. But when you come up to the mountain, those rules are enforced just like they are everywhere else. And the support of the RCMP would be brilliant. All right. Well, good luck, Michael. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Simeon. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Merry Christmas to you as well. That's Michael J. Ballingall, the Senior Vice President at Big White Ski Resort. A very familiar voice, of course. Uh, they are concerned, as you heard him say. They've got two cases reported among staff at Big White of COVID-19. They're waiting, though, to hear from Interior Health today about potentially more cases. They'd like help. The RCMP aren't, they don't have an officer on up at Big White there. Uh, and they need, they said they need some help in patrolling, not just the staff and what's going on, but also with the customers as well who are up there. You want to weigh in? Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's talk about a campaign to raise awareness for the Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, who have now been detained in China for more than two years. Kevin Garrett is a Canadian who lived there for decades before he was arbitrarily detained for almost two years. That was back in 2014. He's one of the people behind this new campaign and joins us this morning to talk about it. Kevin, thank you for being here. You're welcome. It's good to be here. Well, this is certainly getting a lot of attention. You must be pleased about that. Well, yes. I mean, I'm certainly not the the starter of the campaign, but I certainly endorse it. And I think it's really important that Canadians become more and more aware that, uh, you know, the two Michaels are there uh, unjustly 
detained without any real cause and that they're still being held two years later. I was held for, you know, just over two years and, um, you know, again, on false charges. But the, the cards are really important. I, I know they said to put the cards towards the, send towards the Chinese embassy in Canada. And that's mostly just to get the Chinese government aware there's people concerned about this. And that's the most important thing. Okay, so that is this campaign here. You're talking about people sending Christmas cards. Where yes. should they send them? Why, and why do you think this will get the attention? Well, because if, if they get bags and bags and bags of cards, they're going to say there's a lot of people in Canada uh you know, interested in this and concerned about the two Michaels, and it's not just the government speaking to them about it. It's ordinary citizens, which is really important. Okay, so where do you think people should send these Christmas cards? Well, to the the Chinese embassy in Ottawa, and I believe that's on the, you know, some of the articles have put uh, the address there. I don't have that address off. Okay. Offhand, but uh, I guess the Chinese embassy can easily be looked up in Ottawa in care of the uh, ambassador, but also... People are being encouraged to send a card to him as well. You know, very nice, not demanding, not rude or anything like that, but just, uh, you know, in the spirit of Christmas, send something actually to the ambassador as well and ask him to politely for, uh, forward these cards to the two Michaels in China. And do you think people are doing that already? What have you heard? Yes. Oh, yes. No, no, people are doing that. I know a lot of people have. We've, we posted it at different places and people say, I'll get that on that right away. And uh, it's an important thing to do because it draws attention and I know the two Michaels have been in the news a lot because it is, they just celebrated, well, it's not a celebration, two years in prison. Mm-hmm. And I know it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. I spent two Christmases in prison in China as well. And I know it's just incredibly, incredibly hard. But knowing that people are out there and sending cards and doing something and speaking to the media, this really will encourage them. They'll, that news will trickle to them mm-hmm. through the embassy visits, but, uh, you know, they'll be really encouraged when they come out as well. Now, Kevin, tell us about your situation. How did you end up there? Uh, we had worked in China for about 30 years. And we'd done a lot of uh, work. Like we taught English. We studied Chinese. We, um, we did community development. We did things like uh, we ran a coffee house. That was the last thing we did in China. But we also did, you know, we had a training center and different things like that. I worked with an orphanage. And uh, we were living on the border of China and North Korea uh, since 2007, and we were just uh, t- you know, basically abducted one night, much like the Michaels were, and uh, you know, said we're spies and things like that. And uh, we're nothing of the sort. We were doing aid. We were, you know, we're Christians. We're uh, taking just aid and hel- helping in China. And, you know, they took us basically because uh, Canada arrested a Chinese spy named Su Bin uh, a little bit, about six weeks before we were taken. And we were kind of taken in retaliation. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know that for two years. I had no idea that was going on behind the scenes. And how were you treated? What was that time in captivity mm-hmm. like for you? Well, six months. The first six months were isolation and interrogation. So the you know what they call referred to as a black jail, which is exactly what the Michaels went through. It means no one knows where you are, and it's uh, it's not within the judicial system uh, per se. Uh, after six months, I was transferred to a, a local prison. About nine hundred inmates in that prison. And my wife, Julie, was put on basically house arrest, kind of, they call it bail pending trial. But it was, uh, you know, very restricted. And they, you know, she was followed everywhere she went. So she stopped seeing people because they were then investigated if she met any friends or things like that. So mm-hmm. it was very, very difficult. In the prison itself, there were 14 people in my cell. You know, food is only about 28.4% of the time food is not served. You have to pay for everything in prison. So it costs five or $600 a month to live in prison. 
there. So money has to come from outside in order for you know Chu to survive in prison. And your release then, did it just happen one day? Like what happened? <laughs> well, I went to trial on uh, April 20th, 2016. About five months later, uh, without any warning, they called me back to, to court and I almost didn't want to go because I thought, what is this? They're supposed to give me at least a few days notice of this. Something's going to happen. And it was a verdict hearing and that was on September 13th. And I was uh, back in Canada less than 36 hours later after being uh, found guilty and then deported back to Canada. Is, so it was very, very quick. No kidding. Is that the hope then that you have for the two Michaels? Do you see a similar trajectory? Yes, I would I would think so. I mean, I don't think China really wants to... They'll be convicted. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. But I don't think they'll spend years and years in prison. And I think it, it really depends on what happens with Meng Wanzhou. If she gets returned to China, the Michaels get returned. You know, we've detailed our horrendous journey in our book, Two Tears on the Window. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really tells far more detail than I can in these few minutes, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to meet them when they do come out and hear, because I think the experiences will be very similar. Fingers crossed that that happens soon. Kevin, thank you for your time. Yes. You're welcome. That is Kevin Garrett. He is a Canadian who had also been arbitrarily detained in China for almost two years, and he is now speaking out to promote this campaign to raise awareness for the two Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, by sending Christmas cards to the Chinese embassy in Ottawa. He said nothing nasty, just Christmas cards letting them know that Canadians are concerned and care about what is happening to the two Michaels. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.